Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. We're going to jump straight into the Word here because I said to you this morning that I believe God wants to do something very special amongst us. And He's laid on my heart a scripture that comes right at the beginning of my message. You know, normally when you plan these things, you expect God to do something right at the end, right? You build up towards it. As I was praying this morning, I believe that there's some things that God wants to do and He wants to start right up front. So we're going to do things a little bit differently this morning. And I want to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 16. We are talking about Holy Spirit today. Today, as you know, is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit coming down, and the birth of the church. But Jesus spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit, that His Father would send the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read from John 16 from verse 5, and he says this, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Let's pause for a moment. You've got to understand the context here. Jesus has just spent an awful lot of time telling them how persecution is coming, and that potential death is coming. And he breaks this news, and suddenly he says to them, You guys are so worried about yourselves... None of you have even asked me where I'm going. So I told you I'm going away. And that the reason, he says, I'm still here with you because right now you couldn't bear what's coming. But I'm going away. And all they could think of is, what's coming? What is it that I'm going to have to face? What kind of mountains? What kind of obstacles? What kind of persecution? How many of us struggle with that from time to time? The things that God promises we're going to face. Or just what we know, never mind what God says. But Jesus carries on and he says, you haven't even asked where I'm going. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. In other words, even considering all these things, I have something else to add to that. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart... I will send him to you. It is to your benefit that I go away. The disciples, for the last three years of their lives, have known nothing except the presence of Jesus Christ. You know, from time to time, he would send them out and they would come back. But all the power, all the miracles that they had seen was through their association with Jesus. As long as Jesus was there, he was still the one who was in charge. He was still the leader. He's the one who handled the responsibility. He's the one who took the risks. And if they took risks, it was because he sent them. So it all came back to him. It all fell upon him. And he says, now it's going to be beneficial for you that I go away. And of course they're thinking, whoa, how can it be beneficial for us that you go away? Because if I don't go away, the helper will not come. Something needs to happen so that what I, am, what I carry can come to every single one of you. Something needs to take place. And what was that? Jesus had to die. He had to make atonement for our sin. We know that he rose again and that he had to go and present his blood in the throne room, throne room of heaven and say, you know, to show the atonement. He had to go up to the Father. 
And it was through that atonement that something else and something new could take place. Verse 8, he says this, And when he has come, who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit. When Holy Spirit has come, he will do three things. Number one, he will convict the world of sin. Number two, and of righteousness. Number three, and of judgment. He will convict of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. When we come into an atmosphere like we have here this morning, where the Holy Spirit's presence is thick, how many of you struggle with doubts? How many of you struggle with shame, with what you did this week, or with what you didn't do this week? And sometimes when we talk about this place of the presence of the Holy Spirit where it's thick, it's something we're almost afraid to. You know, we sing the song, uh, 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 would you come and fill, change this place, fill, fill this place, change the atmosphere? Your glory is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, to be overcome by the presence of God. You see, when Holy Spirit comes, we've got to remember He is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of love. He's not a manby-pamby spirit. Amen? We just have to ask, what was the couple who lied to the, to, to, to the apostles? Ananias and Sapphira, that's right. We just have to ask them, okay? So it's not a manby-pamby spirit. He is the Spirit of the Almighty God. But there is something that happens when we come into the presence of the Holy Spirit, when our hearts open to the Holy Spirit, that is revolutionary and that completely changes and transforms us. Number one, conviction of sin. We know that in the presence of God, certain things cannot remain. Certain things have to be dealt with. But what is the purpose of conviction? Conviction of sin drives us Toward repentance. Amen. Without repentance, there is no salvation. Without repentance, there is no faith. Amen. Repentance comes before faith. Because until I am able to repent or change or turn, I am unable to believe. Repentance is about complete mind shift change. And so maybe some of you are in the presence of the Lord this morning feeling convicted. I want to say to you, praise God for that. Do something with it. Do something with it. Because once you've done something with your conviction, once you've confessed it, once you've repented of it, once, even if that conviction just has to do with not a sin that you've committed, but just the attitude of heart, God, I'm lukewarm. Or, God, I, 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 I'm not desirous of you, of more of you. I've got to confess that. I'm convicted for my lack of passion for you. Maybe that's what it is. That leads us on to point number two. That conviction means we can repent and it can be dealt with. Because number two is, is, is just as important, probably more so. Conviction of? Of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness is to be in right standing with God. In other words, he owes me nothing. I owe him nothing. I come into his presence with no accusation against me. Every accusation 
has been dealt with and taken care of. Amen? You see, our enemy is, what is, it, what is he called? One of his names is he's called the accuser of the brethren. He will come again and again and again and again and to remind you of how lousy you are, how you slipped up, etc., etc., etc. Amen? He loves to remind us of what we do wrong. And you know who he generally uses? The church. Other Christians, other believers. But when Holy Spirit, one of, the, one of the primary roles Holy Spirit plays in our lives is that conviction of righteousness. What does that mean? You know, when a judge makes a ruling, there's no going back on it. Because the judge says, despite all the evidence, despite every accusation and all the evidence that backs up those accusations, because of Jesus Christ and His blood, I make a judgment of righteousness. So the enemy comes to accuse, and what he accuses of, us of is there truth in it. Sometimes there is, right? There's a measure of truth in it, but there is a higher truth. And the Holy Spirit comes and makes that truth alive to us. It opens our hearts to God and to open relationship with Him. And number three, conviction of judgment. That the evil one has been judged. He says it this way. Now, verse 11, and of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Has been judged. That's why we say at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Why? Because every knee that doesn't bow to him in, 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 in submission and humility will bow to him because it has been judged. Every unbelieving knee will bow. Every deceitful knee will bow. Every rebellious knee will bow. Every knee that comes from the power of the enemy will bow at the name of Jesus. And then he goes on to say this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will speak not on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come, and will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore I say he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Holy Spirit is the minister of the life and the nature of Jesus Christ to you and I as believers. Amen? And so here's what I want you to do with me this morning, before we go any further in this message. Because the sense that I have in my heart is that we need to respond to this threefold purpose, threefold expression of Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, we acknowledge your presence here this morning. And we want to thank you, Jesus, that you sent us Holy Spirit as our helper. Thank you, Lord, that you guide us into all truth and that your truth sets us free, Lord Jesus. The truth, which is you, sets us free. And this morning in your presence, Lord, we just want to pause and take a moment and ask you, Holy Spirit, to make your presence very real to us right now. And if you this morning, while we were worshiping, even maybe as I was speaking and reading the scripture out, we're just feeling a consciousness of sin of unbelief, of lukewarmness. Why don't you confess that now? 
Why don't you deal with that now? Lord, where we fall short, we want to thank you, Jesus, that your blood is sufficient. That you require nothing from us to jump through burning hoops or to do or to perform, but that your grace has given us the free gift of salvation. And this morning, Lord, where our hearts have convicted us, where your Spirit has brought illumination, I want to pray, Father, that you would wash away every sin, that you would wash away every attitude that is not of you. Forgive us, Lord, for where we have harbored things in our hearts. Lies, accusations, anger or bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it may be. Lord, we clear it out now in Jesus' name. We ask you to forgive us. We receive the cleansing of your Holy Spirit now. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that because you are with us and because Jesus is our Lord and because his blood has washed away our sin, that we are, our hearts are wide open to you, Father God, this morning to minister into and to pour out your Spirit into. We know that we are your children because your Spirit dwells within us. And finally, Lord, we want to thank you and ask you to make alive in us the revelation that our oppressor and that our enemy has already been judged. That by that we would have boldness and confidence by the power of your Spirit to deal with his influence however it may manifest in our lives or in our areas of influence. Thank you, Jesus, that your name is above every name, that you are our victorious Savior, that nothing and no weapon that is fashioned or formed against us can or shall prosper. Thank you that you have raised up a standard against the enemy and that like a flood, your spirit washes away whatever he throws at us. So we sit before you this morning, Father God, convicted of this, that we are your sons and your daughters. We are children of the Most High God. We are filled with your nature, that your spirit resides within us, and that this morning, by the word and the ministry of your word, you will fill us afresh with new power, with new revelation, with new understanding and with new passion. That by the time we leave this place today, we will not be the same as when we walked in. Thank you for the conviction of your spirit today. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that your work and your power is the same today as it was the day of Pentecost all those years ago. And thank you that you are working in us and among us right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Can we move on? Praise God. Would you turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, please? Acts chapter 1, we're going to look right at the beginning. And we're going to talk a little bit about person of Holy Spirit today, as I mentioned. And we're going to talk a little bit about Pentecost. Uncle Nick, are you worried the Holy Spirit's trying to get out? Or are you trying to keep him in? I've got what they call a spirit-filled life Bible. I'm always too, too scared to open it because I don't want him to get out. I'm joking. Acts chapter 1 from verse 4. We're going to talk, look at the account. There's a few things that I want us to point out or that I want to point us, out to us today concerning 
the occasion or the happening, if you like, of Pentecost, and we're going to journey through some things and just talk about it. Amen? Many of you, or most of you, I'm confident, know the story, know the account of what happened. Um, and as I was preparing, I, I, I felt a little bit farther. I'm telling them things they already know. But I think it's, it's good that we, that we re-look at this and we re-find ourselves in the story and what it is that God's saying to us. First thing, starting from verse 4, it says this, And being assembled together, Jesus is still with them. With him, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pause there for a moment. The word baptize is a transliteration from the Greek word baptizo. A transliteration means that it's not actually in the English language at all, but we take the word and we transliterate it. We take a Greek word and we make it sound English. That's what transliteration is. So when we say baptize, it's actually a Greek word, and it means to submerge, to come under. So if we understand water baptism, we understand the submergence underneath the water, symbolizing the death and the burial of the old man. Therefore, bringing out of the water is the resurrection of the new life. Amen? So when, G when, when Jesus is talking here, and we've recently read from John, there's many other occasions where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will come and that it will be sent. And he, as we read in John, it's for, to our benefit that Jesus left so that the Holy Spirit could be sent. And here he says, Not me. I want you to tarry in Jerusalem, go there, wait there, and in not many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, He will come over you. He will come upon you. Verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What shall you receive? Power. Dynami. That's right. It's the same. We're doing Greek lessons today. Dynami is power. It's the same root word of dynamite. That's where they get the name from. Power. Say power. power. That's very interesting. He didn't say that you shall receive salvation. He didn't say that you would receive grace or peace. He said the sign that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, the evidence that you have been baptized is that you will receive power. For what purpose? He goes on to say that you shall be witnesses to me, first in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, Jesus is saying that you will receive power in order to be witnesses of me. What can we gather from that statement that if we don't have the power, we have no witness. The witness of Jesus and the power of the kingdom and of his victory is the power of the Holy Spirit in demonstration in and through our lives. Amen? And he promises that you're going to go to Jerusalem, wait there, and in a few days you will receive power. You see, many, many of us confuse being born again versus with, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you want to look at the lives of the disciples, two separate things happened in their lives. There was a moment where Jesus breathed on them, and he said, receive my spirit. What happened in that moment? 
They were born again. Something happened in the life and the nature. They received, as we say, Jesus came to live in their hearts. But it was a different experience that Jesus needed his, his church to experience. He needed his disciples to have. And that was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you look again and again, if you study the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 8. Um, somebody went down to Samaria, I think it was. Who was it that went down to Samaria? Philip went down, thank you. And then he preached the gospel and they were born again. A little while later, John and Peter came down and he said, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't even know there was such a thing. And so they laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two separate occurrences. Amen? The one came and brought newness of life and forgiveness of sin. That is about me. The other came and brought power for witness. That's for others. And if you want to equate what comes with them, the Bible has nine fruit of the Spirit and nine gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the born-again nature of, of Jesus Christ within the believer. They're the evidence that something has taken place inside. No longer angry, no longer short-tempered, no, no longer desiring of sin, but there's fruit, there's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. Then there's the gifts of the Spirit, which come along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And those are for power, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about all of those this morning. But I want us to understand that as believers, there are two occurrences or two experiences of God that, that belong to every single one of us. I also want to say this to you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just for mature believers. In fact, if you were to look at one at, at Corinth, at the church in Corinth, in the early church... It is a place where the gifts of the Spirit were flowing and in manifestation. Tremendous gifts and miracles and signs and wonders are taking place. Yet Paul comes to them and he says, you know, I want to speak to you as mature, but I can't. I have to talk to you as babies. Because where envy and strife and division are among you, are you not still carnal? Are you not still living like mere men, like babies? I've got to feed you milk. I wanted to give you meat. Now, it's interesting he says that to people who are flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to say this to you. The gifts of the Spirit are not a sign of maturity, but they are the evidence of the power of God. Amen? And so never believe that the gifts of the Spirit are only for those who are mature or somehow you've got to work towards them. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is part of the salvation experience. I think it was David Porson who had a, a, a four-part analogy. He says, the, the salvation experience is a four-part experience. Number one, repentance. R, R-B-B-R, rubber, he called it. R, repentance. Number two, believe, faith towards God. Number three, be baptized in water. And number four, receive. Receive what? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, coming back to our scripture, that when Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be a witness. Those around you will know that you've been touched by Holy Spirit, and there is a purpose to it. I want you to also understand, folks, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an experience, but a condition. An experience is something that you have. It is in an allocated space or in an allocated time. A condition is a state of being that you perpetuate. It's a state of being that you live and you walk in. So the question really is not, have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? The question is, are you baptized by the Holy Spirit? I know that's a semantical argument, 
But it's good for us to understand that once we've been baptized with Holy Spirit, he, th that power resides within us. Amen? Amen? Are you with me? All right. So we see that Jesus commands them to go to Jerusalem and to tarry there and to wait. Would you turn now to the next page in your Bible, Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start reading from verse 1. And it says this, When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now let me explain to you what they're talking about there. Pentecost at that stage had absolutely nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Many people think the name Pentecost comes because of what happened on that day by the Holy Spirit. That's not true. The day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast held 50 days after Passover. It celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. In Jewish history, rituals at that time, the first sheaf of reaped, reaped from the barley harvest was presented to God at Passover. But at Pentecost, first fruits of the wheat harvest were presented to God, and therefore Pentecost is called the day of first fruits. Now, I find it, I find it really beautiful that Holy Spirit came on the day where they celebrated first fruits. And then you read in Romans 8, verse 23, that, we have re that the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Romans 8, 23, it says, What we have received is the first fruit. It's the promise of that which is to come. Not only a promise, but it is a taste of that which is to come. It is an experience of that which is to come, the fullness of the kingdom of God in manifestation. Amen? So in Jewish tradition, it was also thought that Pentecost marked the day when the law was given to Israel. So the Jews sometimes called Pente Pentecost Shim. Shimchas Torah, forgive my pronunciation if that's all wrong, which is basically the joy of the law. So you understand that in Jewish custom and on the day, they were celebrating a day which was a holiday, it was a religious feast, it was a time of celebration. But on that particular day, something happened. It also says this, so when the day of fully costed, fully cost, the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. So in one place speaks about geography. In one accord speaks about heart. They were all waiting for something. They were all in obedience to Jesus, waiting in Jerusalem with one heart and one mind in eager anticipation for what God was going to do. And suddenly, say suddenly. suddenly. What does that mean? It means it caught them by surprise. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we see an incredible thing happen. Now we need to understand, we're looking at this from a post-Pentecostal point of view. What happened there was unprecedented, completely weird, completely strange, completely out of anything they could ever have expected. Suddenly, something happens. They hear a sound of wind. And that's significant, by the way, because right through Old and New Covenant, the Spirit is referred to as the wind. When Ezekiel was prophesying over the dead bones, he said, prophesy, wind, come. 
and the wind came and brought life. And so we understand that in that moment something happened which was a physical experience in a very natural way, a, very, a spiritual experience with a very natural outworking, where Holy Spirit came and did something very strange. And people were marveling. The story carries on that, that people were looking. And, and that feast, by the way, the Feast of Pentecost was probably one of the most of the best celebrated feasts of all the Jewish feasts. And because of that, there was a real cosmopolitan feel about Jerusalem on that day. Lots of people, lots of different cultures, lots of languages, lots of backgrounds. And here, these people are listening, strangers to what, perhaps what's going on even, and they are, are, are hearing people speaking in a language that they could not possibly know. You, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but you go through, read the book of Acts chapter 2. And then some people say, this is so strange, these guys must be drunk. They must have been hitting the bottle. They're getting it on with that communion wine. They... There's something funny going on here. Folks, I want to say this to you. Sometimes when the Spirit of God begins to move, things are very out of what we expect. Sometimes things are a little bit messy. When Holy Spirit manifests, do you know what else manifests? Flesh. Demonic forces. Manifest in the presence of God. Why? Because they can't stick around there. Emotions manifest. But you know what? Through all the mess, God can accomplish great things if we keep our hearts open to Him. Remember Ken Turner once said, it's ama God amazes me by how much mess He is willing to tolerate from us just in order to bless us with who He is. Isn't that incredible? So we have the situation which to us looks messy, looks really untidy, because it's so different. It makes you very uncomfortable. How many of you watched the royal wedding yesterday? How many of you saw those people squirming in their seats when Bishop Michael was preaching? They were squirming in it. This was very out of place for the situation that was... But it's amazing. How, what, is it, what, what is one of the things... Every, what is it that everyone's talking about this morning? Megan's dress and Michael's sermon. But you understand the point there. Some things happen sometimes in the ways that we don't expect. Are we open for that? Are we ready for that? Are we willing for that? And so Peter, Peter preaches this, and the people come and they say, no, these guys are drunk. There's something really strange going on. But then we see what Jesus was talking about when he said, you will receive power when, when the Spirit comes upon you. Because we see a, a, a significant change in the nature or the character or the boldness or the, the, the personality of this man called Peter. Because Peter stands up and he delivers a mighty sermon, a sermon that is incredibly bold. He points fingers directly at the Jews and accuses them of crucifying Jesus. And what is the response? They don't stone him. They don't chase him out of the city. Holy Spirit's presence is so powerful there. The anointing is so strong there. They say, what should we do? And he said, repent and believe. And that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. Incredible. Carry on reading the scripture. It says, and daily people were being added to the church. Something broke out that day that changed everything. I want to say this to you folks. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life 
changes everything. Where there was fear, there is faith. Where there was defeat, there is victory. Where there is bondage, there is liberty. This is the spirit life that God has come to bring us into so that we can be free to be His witnesses so that where there is darkness, we can bring light. And where there is chains, we can break them open by the power of the Spirit of God. Zechariah said, it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by the Spirit of God. Amen. So we see something completely different taking place. As I said, the disciples were, were familiar with the ministry of Jesus. They were familiar with signs and wonders by now. They were familiar with the work and how the Holy Spirit worked. They'd been around Jesus. They themselves had performed miracles. Peter is the one who had the revelation that, Jesus, you are the Christ. But we see something very different that was transformational in Peter's life. And he preaches the sermon, and it gets results. The experience changed him from a very natural man to a supernatural man. That's why I love the words of Paul when he writes to the church in Corinth and he says to you, when this stuff is going on, are you not behaving as mere men? In other words, your behavior defies your supernatural experiences. You're behaving like mere men in the midst of a supernatural situation. Andrew Murray says this, Christianity is nothing if it is not supernatural. I want to say that to you again. Christianity is nothing if it is not supernatural. Our Christian life and walk and work must fail unless we live deeply rooted in the power of God's inspired word, in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, and in the importunate prayer to which the promise of the Father will most surely be given. How much less have we become satisfied with and called it Christianity? How far have we fallen from the fullness of the measure of grace that God longs to see working in and through our lives? And yet we wonder, Jesus, why do we not see church growing around us? When was the last time I led someone to the Lord? What's happened? I've lost touch with that supernatural that is within me. The presence of the Holy Spirit upon Peter's life brought with it a measure of authority and a measure of great assurance. You saw it. So the next day they go into the temple, or the next time they go to the temple, there's a man who sits at the gate of the temple every time begging for alms. And immediately, instead of any, Peter and John, who'd probably been out of there all the, you know, how often, suddenly there's something different in him. And he says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have I give unto you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. What happened? Where did this come from? Where did the supernatural faith come from? Where did the power to do things like that and the boldness come from? It came from a transformation that took place because of the Holy Spirit. Scholars consider Pentecost to be the day that the church was born. The Spirit who tore free from the temple on the day that Christ was crucified, literally tore the veil from top to bottom, took up residence in his new temple, the church, you and me. And whereas before, to come into the presence of God was a fearful thing. Sacrifices needed to be made. It only happened one day of the year, and only one man was allowed to go and represent the people before God. 
And he went in with such fear that he went in with a rope around his ankle. Because if he died there in the presence of God, no one else would be able to get him out. So at least if he had a rope, they could pull him out. A fearful, terrifying thing. But you see, once Jesus died, that veil tore. The veil that separated God from his people. The veil that enabled or that limited what God could do through his people in delivering them from the power of the enemy was torn. And God could now take up residence in the hearts of his people and in their lives. I want to say this to you this morning, folks. As I preach this, I'm convicted about what I see in, in terms of what the Holy Spirit did and what the baptism of the Holy Spirit meant to that group in Pentecost. What I see it did to the life of the church and to those early believers. And I look around me and I look at my own life and I say, woe is me. How far short are we? How far short are we from that revelation? So Peter preaches the sermon and then he said to them, Repent, Acts 2.38, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to say this to you this morning, folks. There is nothing you can do to earn Holy Spirit's presence. Nothing you can do to earn the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just as you could not earn your own salvation, you cannot earn the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is a free gift of God. All you and I can do is receive it. And it is the most wonderful gift you can imagine. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. Sorry? That's us. That's us. That's you. There is a gift that God has for you. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7. I'll read it to you again. Jesus says that a different way. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you, not may find, not could find. If you seek, you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And then he makes this beautiful analogy. But listen to the words he says. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is he equated with? A good gift. He, if you look at those, those things that the son is asking the father of, they're basic essentials for life. They're for his sustenance. They're for his physical body to empower and strengthen him. And Jesus says, if we come and ask the father, what will he give us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. For those of us who have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe the Lord wants to ask us this morning, how is that reality finding meaningful expression in your life? Is it something you engage with on a daily basis? Do you spend time praying with the Spirit, engaging with the Spirit as you read the Word of God? Do you go and pray for the sick, or are you fearful or you timid? Has that revelation brought you to a place of boldness and courage? Is it perhaps something you neglect 
Or is it perhaps even something that you suppress? Oh, I don't want to seem like one of those strange people. Not willing to take a risk. Not willing to step out. See, book, book, God says in the book of Romans 8.14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. I spoke to somebody a little while ago who pastors in a probably more conservative stream of Christianity. And he was so convicted because, you know, his friends and his loved ones would tell him about spiritual gifts, talk to him about baptism of the Holy Spirit. And scripturally, he didn't deny it. He said, I accept it there. You know, I have no problem with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I have no problem with spiritual gifts. I don't experience them. I don't see them. But I have no problem with them. And one day, God put, gave him the scripture. He was reading his Bible, and he got to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And it says this, Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. I want to say two things concerning this. Number one, just to, so that, to give you the correct contextual understanding here, Paul is talking here to the church in Corinth, and the issue was that they were pursuing spiritual gifts and desiring love. Their pursuit was off. This is one of the things he had to correct with them. And, and I will say that there is a danger in this. I know many, I know many, I even know pastors whose pursuit is the gifts. The gifts come as a result of intimacy with the gift giver, with Jesus. Amen? With the Holy Spirit, with God. Desiring them, though, is a great thing. So they must have its rightful place. But this pastor was so convicted because he said, God said to me that day, I didn't ask you to be okay with spiritual gifts. I didn't ask you what you thought of spiritual gifts. I told you to, to, to desire them. To desire them. In other words, when you are in a situation where you're seeing affliction, where you're seeing sickness, where something's going on that's not right. What is your desire? Is your desire to see God's Spirit break through in power in that setting? Or is your desire to get out of there quickly because you don't want them to ask you to pray for them? So this is what I'm saying to you folks. How is this reality of what we celebrate today found meaningful expression in your life? The second question I have is for those of you who have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The question I have is a simple one. What's holding you back? You know, there's some myths about this. Number one is, I'm not ready. Folks, you cannot ever be ready to receive a gift. You can't because the gift is not earned. It is just received. The only thing that is required is that we are born again, that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, that He resides in our hearts. Another myth is, but don't I need to tarry or wait? Another myth, no, by the way, you don't. You just have to receive. Another myth is, but didn't I receive the Holy Spirit when I got saved? And I've already addressed that one earlier on. Yes, you did. You were born again. But there's a different experience in which God longs to endue you with power so that you can be an effective witness to Him in the world where you live. Folks, you need to understand something. As long as you are desirous to hold on to your reputation, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for you. Nothing of the spiritual life of Jesus Christ can be imparted to us or received by us without death to self. I cannot receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior without my soul being crucified 
I've got to deny myself. And likewise, where I am always, and I'm sure where you are confronted by this gift of the Holy Spirit and His power, is the fact that if I receive this, I know God's going to expect me to be a witness. And there is a supernatural element to it, which draws attention that I may not want. And in that, the attitude of our, of our heart is revealed. Why on earth would you not want that? I'll tell you why. Because you value your reputation. You value what people may think of you. But if we value the kingdom of God, if we value souls the way Jesus values souls, we cannot but say, God, fill me with all of your glory that I may go and be a witness to you in my home, in my workplace, and wherever it is that you send me that your power and deliverance may come through me to bring souls to your kingdom, to bring, deliver souls out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of dear Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Spirit. It's not you and I who can do that, folks, but it's the power of God working through us by the power of His Spirit. And so regardless of where we are in our relationship with Holy Spirit, God's exhortation to us today is the same. The fuller measure of the Spirit is reserved for those who are willing to give themselves in fuller measure. And that's all it is. There is no limit to what we can receive. Our only limit is our willingness to yield. That's our only limit. And so I want to ask the worship team who have been raptured. She's not well. All right. Nicole? Hmm? Would you get on the keys? I'll sing. <laughs> and I want us to stand up this morning. What's it tell more of you, less of me? Jesus, make me like you. Do you know that song? And folks, I want you to understand something here. This is not bells and whistles stuff. This is not pomp and ceremony. We saw plenty of that yesterday. This is true life encounters with God and with His Spirit that God is longing for more than you could ever imagine. And I want to ask us as we sing this song this morning, you turn your heart to Jesus and you cry out for more of Him. If you want to be prayed for, you're welcome to come up. Craig is here. I'm here. We can pray for you with pleasure. But that's not necessary. Nobody laid hands necessarily on the first disciples who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All that they were were a group of people together in one place with one desire. They were in one place with one desire. We are here this morning, one place. Is our desire the same? Do we all long for more of Jesus in our lives? That He would come and deal with our carnality? That He would come and deal with our indifference in a way that only He can by the power of the Spirit? Because try as I might, I can't make myself love Him more. Try as I might, I can't serve Him better. Try as I might, I can't deal with my insecurities but I long for His Spirit to come and do it in my heart as I come into His presence. 
So let's worship our Jesus this morning. And let's ask him to pour out his spirit afresh upon us. To come and touch us. To awaken within us such a strong desire for everything that he came to give. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.